1: He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to him, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead.
0: So after that text, some of you are thinking this is probably the week to skip church or not watch online. But this is actually one of the most important topics that we discuss as a church. We're going to talk a little bit about a biblical understanding of what hell is today. And I know some of you are like, man, I'm not interested in that. But this is such an important topic, and I'll be honest, as we talked about uh, the different parables we would discuss in this series, I thought, man, let's just skip over this one. Let's talk about something different, but really, right now, this is a really important topic to discuss. It's something that if we don't understand hell, we don't understand this part of the biblical narrative, it, it, it skews our understanding of God, and it skews our understanding of what we're to do on this earth right now and and there's really a couple of different uh, misunderstandings I think people generally have about hell. The first is just that there is no life after death. There's nothing coming that uh, we are temporary souls, temporary beings and there's nothing after the moment that we go into the ground And, and, and I would say that's that's actually false. There's something coming for all of us. And so that's one view, is that, hey, it doesn't matter, hell doesn't matter, let's not talk about it or worry about it. The other view is this, there is a hell. Uh, Some people believe in maybe what the Bible says about the depictions of hell, but they would say, well, if you're a decent person, if you're not, you know, uh, super bad or you're better than most, then you're going to end up spending eternity in heaven with Jesus. And so you don't have to worry about hell. The, The second belief is also untrue. As well, and so somewhere in the scriptures is the true meaning of, of this this place, this this thing we call hell, and we need to understand this uh, for our life here today. So the point I want to make as I start off today is this: hell is actually more tragic than we realize, and it's better news than we ever imagined. Hell is more tragic than we realized and, and it's actually better news than we could have ever imagined. And so I'm going to attempt to, to draw a, a distinction between the two and show you actually that both of them are true at the same time here today. And as we move into the story, our understanding of hell is going to help us with two things. First, how we understand ourselves, again, how we, how we live this life on earth, and, and second, how we relate to other people. Our understanding of of hell and what it is, uh, helps us to know uh, how to to care for the world, what it means to love the world, and and how important it is that we make moves right now in this time that we live in. And so the characters in the story are really important for us to move forward in this conversation. The first character I wanna talk about is the rich man. And some of you, as you read the story, you're like, I'm not that guy. I'm not the rich man. Don't have a lot of money. Maybe you lost a job recently. Maybe you're struggling financially like many people are uh, during this COVID-19 season. But as we move into the story and we kind of compare ourselves to the different characters, I want you to consider that this rich man uh, represents not just financially rich people. Certainly that's part of it. And and certainly Jesus talks a lot about the financially rich and how difficult it is, he says, for a, a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's something about our physical riches that often gets in the way of our spiritual blessings but at the same time, I think we're rich in many things. Maybe uh, you're rich in talent and you're just that kind of person you pick up a guitar, uh, you pick up a basketball and you can just you can just do it, you can just figure it out and uh, you're really talented naturally maybe you're somebody who's rich in intelligence and uh, when you read you retain knowledge and maybe you're at the top of your class in college Maybe you started a business and it just succeeded really quickly and you seem to be rich in that way. Other people are rich maybe in in beauty and in the way they look. And so they're just the kind of person that everybody's like, man, I wish I looked like her. I wish I could could just kind of do my hair like she does and naturally look so beautiful. But a lot of people are rich in a lot of different ways. And this is who the rich man is in the story. As Jesus teaches about riches, one of the things he makes very clear is that our earthly riches can get in the way of an eternal perspective on life. And in fact, Jesus had a little brother, his name is James. And here's what James said. James says this in in chapter one, verse nine. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And so once again, both Jesus and James make it very clear that our work on this earth, not just the the talents that we have or the riches that we have, but the actual fruit of our labor will be shown for what it is in the end. And, and maybe you've experienced this, where you thought you were rich, you thought you were top of your class, you thought you were doing well, and it was taken away from you. You know, One of the things you might not know about me is I'm, I'm sort of a washed up musician. I used to lead worship for ACF. Now uh, Mason and his team do an incredible job of that. Uh, I miss those days sometimes. I miss using that skill, but honestly, it's just not something I'm as good at anymore. I haven't been playing the guitar. In fact, the other day I picked it up, and uh, I was terrible. I haven't been playing in, in months. My fingers hurt. And my calluses are gone. And and like most things, whatever you pursue in life and work hard on in life, at some point, the fruit of that will be shown for what it is. And so I'll start with this. Where are you rich? Where do you see riches in your life? And and is there a way that those riches are getting in the way of an eternal perspective? So we talked about the rich man. I want to talk about the poor man now. Uh, he, He actually gets a name, which is really interesting in this story. The rich man is nameless. And uh, the poor man gets a name and his name is Lazarus. And Lazarus was a, was a really common name in their day. And, and some people have kind of correlated the name that Jesus gave this man to uh, the Lazarus that he raised from the dead. And uh, there's no real clear evidence that there's a, there's a connection there. But this was a really common name. And the name Lazarus simply means God helps. And this was strategic as Jesus told the story. He wanted to make sure people knew that there was something coming in this story about this man, Lazarus. And and immediately it would have caught the attention of his Jewish audience as they had this image of God where um, if you had financial riches, if you were doing really well for yourself, that meant you were blessed. This was a really key understanding in their culture. The blessed were the rich. That's just what you believed. And so in the story, Jesus is already throwing a, a twist in that this poor man, is, is financially poor and yet his name means God helps. So God is with this poor man. And if you were part of the the Gentile or the non jewish audience reading this or, or hearing this story, what you would have immediately thought is there's a place for me at the table like I'm not part of that that chosen crowd of people, right maybe I, I don't do well financially and, and maybe I'm not top of my class and, and people don't know me for my uh, religious beliefs or, or strengths in that area but but I am someone who God could love, who God could help, God could invite to the table. And so depending on where you're at, you're hearing this story through a a different perspective. And so um, here's what I want to say as we move forward in this. As you think about who's blessed, and we've talked a lot about this in the past couple months, I really believe this, that we will be surprised how many rich Talented, beautiful, even religious people do not enter into God's kingdom. We will be very surprised in that, and Jesus is making that point right now. So, verse 22 says this the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. So, this is really key that Jesus says the poor man was carried. Uh, if you were poor in Jesus' day, you didn't get much of a funeral. It wouldn't have been something that went out, you know, to the masses. Large crowds wouldn't have shown up. You wouldn't have gotten a large grave site. Uh, people wouldn't have really known much about it because you're, you're poor. And so you didn't have the ability uh, to actually put yourself out there and be known the way that the rich were known. And yet in this situation, he says, This poor man was carried by angels. I mean, think about that. The royalty that Jesus is already uh, placing on top of this poor man's existence and saying like, hey, there's something coming about this poor man. Like, like there's something about his life and existence that's different from the rich man in the story. There's a royalty to him. He's carried like a royal person would be carried to the, the side of Abraham, to the place of Abraham. And so this is this depiction of of heaven or an eternity with God. And so this this poor man is carried to be with God and so one of the things that we see in this is that your circumstances in this life if you're if you're feeling poor and you're like yeah I don't feel like life's going very well for me your circumstances do not determine your sonship they don't determine that that you are part of the family of God there's so much more that determines those things for us so it continues on it says the rich man also died so two people both die Once again, uh, this is maybe news for you, but we all die, right? The statistics are in, everybody dies. And so two people, different places of life, both die. The rich man also died and was buried. 23, it says, and in Hades, being in torment. So this is where... The story takes a massive twist and the audience would have maybe been shocked and I can imagine people gasping like, are you serious? This rich man is now in Hades in torment and the poor man is carried like royalty, this is insanity, and Jesus, again, a master storyteller, knew how to make a point and how to draw the audience in, and so he says, this man is, is in Hades, and, and it, he goes on later in the text uh, to speak up, this, this rich man who has no name says, I am in anguish, I'm in these flames, and this is where the idea of flames comes in. And now for some of you, this is where it starts to make sense. We're talking about hell, right? And for many of you, when you think of hell, you think of flames. And that's because flames are a well-known metaphor used in the scriptures for what hell is actually like, this fire, this flame, this torment that people feel. And, And this is really where it gets uncomfortable. Right, Because the questions start to come up and we, we go, well that sounds terrible and, and what kind of God would allow people to experience that or even send them to hell, to, to feel these flames. I mean, this sounds terrible. Some of you even have an image of God, like this sadistic deity who's roasting people over a fire like a marshmallow, you know, and, and we, we understand this in Alaska, right? We roast a lot of marshmallow over fire, right? But this idea that God himself is almost like laughing and enjoying the pain of people, and I just want you to know this is not who God is, and this is not what we see in the scriptures, And so a question may be, is it literal flames? Is it a metaphor for something different? Uh, I remember I was reading about Pastor Tim Keller um, being asked this question by someone in his church. Like, are the flames literal flames or are they a metaphor? And he thought for a minute and he said, well, I think they're actually a metaphor. And the person sighed with relief, like, oh, that's good. I'm glad it's just a metaphor. And then he went on to say, I think it's a metaphor for something unimaginably worse. (laughs) which is not what any of us want to hear. Uh, When we think of flames and fire and hell, we think, well, that sounds terrible, but could there be something that's actually unimaginably worse than that? And a lot of arguments come up about what this is actually like. We've got people who believe in what's called eternal conscious torment, the idea that you exist forever burning in hell, right? And and that's just something that, of course, none of us want to believe, but many people traditionally believe that you go to hell and you uh, feel this flame, whatever it is, whatever it's like for eternity. And other people um, believe in annihilation, which is the idea that you would go to hell and that you would burn for a season and feel this pain, but then that pain would at some point die and you would, you would disappear and, and then you wouldn't exist anymore. You'd be annihilated. And, and I want you to know these two perspectives and, and a few others, I would say that we can disagree on and we can all be part of the family of God and have different perspectives. But as I think of both, what I know is I don't want either of them. I don't want to feel that at all. Whatever this flame and torment and pain is, I don't want it for one lifetime, two lifetimes, you know, eternity. I don't want any of those things. But the deeper issue, there's a primary issue going on that Jesus is getting at. And I think here's the point for them, and here's the point for us. It's don't let the comforts of your circumstances cloud your view of eternity, that's what he's saying about this rich man. So one of the things this rich man has done is he's, he's allowed his circumstances and his riches to cloud his perspective. To make him think that he's more blessed or more loved by God. Or maybe he must be doing the right things. And I hear people say that a lot. Life's been easy lately. Man, God must be in it, right? I made this decision and it just was so easy. Certainly God is blessing this decision. And I just want you to know that is not always the case right that's not always the case sometimes we make terrible decisions and it's really easy and it feels physically comfortable to do these things when really we are walking down what this parable would say is the road to hell itself and that's not something we want to hear but that's what this rich man did so what exactly is hell right that's an important question Certainly there's some metaphors going on here throughout the scriptures as there's these different depictions of hell and descriptions of it. But what does the imagery of fire actually mean? Well, the first thing I think of when I think of fire is that it can't be ignored. It's not something that I simply overlook. If my house is on fire, I know it. Uh, One of the things I do is I'm a welder and I have actually lit my pants on fire multiple times when I've been welding and guess what I didn't do? I didn't say, I'll get to that later. Like, I'll just ignore that for now. No, the first thing you do is you you try to get the fire out. It's something that you cannot ignore and I think that's important as Jesus uses the imagery of fire when talking about hell. Is it something that you cannot ignore? It's something that becomes an obsession. It's something that your eyes are focused on. And one of the things that we see in this story is this man, this rich man who is eternally in torment, right? It's all he can think about. It's all he's obsessed with, right? And so one of the things that I could say about hell is that hell is a never-ending, all-consuming obsession with yourself. Hell is a never-ending, all-consuming obsession with yourself. Now, some of you are like, that doesn't sound that bad. I don't know. Like, it seems like that'd be an okay thing, but... When you live long enough and you go through enough in life, what you realize is a never-ending, all-consuming obsession with yourself, that's hell. It really is hell. It's something that none of us have ever seen lead to life and flourishing in our existence. It actually steals our joy and steals our hope more than anything. Maybe you've been in a place where you couldn't escape your shame, right? Because if you're obsessed with yourself, maybe you see the good, but you probably will see the bad. And as you've seen the bad in your life, and I've, I've seen it in mine, have you ever just laid in bed at night and been overwhelmed by a decision that you made that you're not proud of? And just filled with a sense of shame. This is, is one of the images I have when I think of hell. I think of these, this fire, this thing that continues to consume and burn is like this, this feeling of shame where, where there's no potential of getting away from it. There's no waking up tomorrow and feeling better and, you know, there's no chance of making it right with that person that you wronged. No, it's just existence is this never-ending, all-consuming obsession with the things that I've done. Have you ever not been able to get out of your own head, been stuck in your own mind? Like, I mean, this is a scary place to be. And think about being that way for eternity and never having the opportunity to get out of your own head. Have you ever felt the sadness... In the hopelessness of a self-centered life where you're not serving others, caring for others, meeting the needs of others. And think of an existence where you could never do that. There was never the potential of repentance, of changing your mind and changing your ways to to come up with with a new way of living. Imagine that. To me, this sounds like hell. I mean, it sounds like a hell that's, that's worse than a physical pain. And I think some of us have experienced that. When you think of physical pain, you think, I can put up with a lot of physical pain, but spiritual pain, emotional pain, that's the worst kind of pain. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And so I think we can be all challenged by this as Abraham speaks to this rich man. And he says, hey, whatever you were living for, it wasn't God and you experienced all that you could have experienced in your lifetime. Those good things that you experienced, that was the best. As I said a couple of weeks ago, for some people, this life is as close to heaven as you will ever get. And for other people, this life is as close to hell as you will ever get. And so he's essentially saying that, hey, rich man, talented man, beautiful person, whatever it is, you had your blessings. You had your good things, and that's what you lived for, and that's what you got but now eternity exists and there's more to come. And what is it that you're gonna experience in the next? So our understanding of hell determines two things. First, how we understand ourselves and how we relate to others. I wanna talk about that for a minute. How does our understanding of hell determine how we relate to other people? If people believe in hell, our friends, our neighbors, our family members, if they actually believe in hell, what they believe is they don't want to go there, right? Most people would say that. Yet, it seems that a lot of people today, they believe in some sort of hell, but what they don't want is any help. They don't want a God. They don't want someone to follow. They don't want anyone else to rule their life. Maybe it's this belief that there is something coming in the next life, but again, I, I wanna run my own life. I wanna be the God of my own existence. And what we see clearly in this text and in this story and throughout the biblical narrative is that you can't have both. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, the doors of hell are locked from the inside. Think about that reality, that the doors of hell are actually locked from the inside. The people that are there have chosen to lock the doors, to lock themselves in. And at a different point, he says this, he says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. And so we just talked about that last week, the idea that God wants us to, to knock on the door and to seek after him. And Jesus even says that, those who seek me will find me when they seek me with all of their heart. And so this image that God is sending innocent people to this eternal torment, separation from him, it's just not reality. We all have the information we need to make a decision whether or not we want to follow God or we want to be God. And this is what C.S. Lewis is saying, is that some people choose to try to be their own God. And to those people, it's like locking the door from the inside out. It's, it's the people that say, hey, I want my will to be done. And at some point, God says, you can have it. Your will will be done. And there have been so many points in my life where I have gotten what I wanted and it has been hell. I have gotten exactly what I wanted and it has done something to my life that I, I couldn't fix later. And so for a lot of people today, this is the story. This is where the story is going. And this this actually challenges how we view hell and how we view people. Because most people think, well, hell is for those terrible people. Hell is for the people who are the worst of the worst. But what we see in this text is that hell is for moral people who just don't want a God. Hell is for people who, you know, who are really religious and, you know, try to pay their taxes and do good things. But they don't really want to follow Jesus. And heaven, if you read the Bible, is for the worst of the worst who choose to follow God and to trust in his grace. That's the story. It's such a different perspective than what the Jews of Jesus' day believed. And it's such a different perspective than what most people today in our culture believe about heaven and believe about hell. The story is so beautiful when you actually look between the lines and you actually see the grand narrative. It's not about this God that's roasting people over a fire like marshmallows on a stick. It's about a God that is so filled with compassion that he would go through the hell that we deserve so that we can live with him. That's a loving God, and that's a better story, and that's one worth giving your life to. The story continues and the rich man asks Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his five brothers about this existence and this anguish and this fire that he's feeling. Verse 29, But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So he's basically saying, I didn't get enough information. That's the argument he's saying is like, hey, if they had more information, if they knew what I know, then they would repent and they would change their minds. And so go tell them what I know now so that they can change their minds. And then he says, hey, if they see you, Abraham, that you've, you've risen from the dead, they will certainly change their minds and change their ways. Do you understand what Jesus is doing? He's actually foreshadowing his own death and what would come. The idea that this rich man says is if, if everybody would see that someone would raise from the dead, then certainly everyone would believe. And what we know is that Jesus himself would soon be crucified on a cross, buried for three days, resurrected to new life, seen by hundreds and hundreds of people. And yet many still didn't believe. I think many of us play the same games. We think, well, uh, maybe I just need more information. Maybe I just need the right sermon, or you know, I just need a, a little bit more reading, or whatever it may be to understand more of God, when the truth is, for most of us, we have way more information than we need to actually change our lives and repent of what we believe and choose to follow Jesus. It's typically not an information problem. It's also not a miracle problem. Uh, Many people today would even say, hey God, just show me a miracle and then I'll believe. When the reality is we pass by miracles every single day. We see the miraculous all the time. We just simply don't give God the credit for those things. And this was true in their day, that there were miracles happening and certainly Jesus rising from the dead is, is the most miraculous thing that's ever happened in human history. And yet many people didn't believe and still today, no matter what we see around us, if we don't want a king, if we don't want to live in his city, And live with him as God. If we want to be our own gods. If we want to stand on our own accomplishments. Our own skills. Our own gifts. Our own talents. Then we can do that. No matter what we see. Nothing will change our minds. If we're not ready to have our hearts changed by Jesus. And this is certainly the situation for him. And he says in response. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets. Neither will they be convinced. Moses and the prophets were speaking the truth of God. To his people. And this is something that I'm called to do, is every week to just share the truth. And this is why we're talking about this uncomfortable topic of hell, is God one day will stand with me and he'll say, Brian, did you tell them the truth? And I will not be responsible for your decision. I'll be responsible for what I shared with you. And so that's my heart. But here's what I know as a pastor is that I cannot change anyone's mind that friend of yours that you've been praying for, that neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, that that co-worker that seems to be so combative when it comes to spiritual things, you cannot change their mind. Uh, The right sermon won't change their mind. Uh, A miracle won't change their mind. It just has to be the right moment at the right time that their heart is softened and ready to hear the truth of Jesus. And that is when someone's life is transformed. It's something that we can't do. It's something that none of us can make happen and only God himself can make happen Jesus says this in a different point and I want to just kind of close with this he says I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it and as we talk about hell and we live in this time that we live in right now what we need to understand is there is certainly a spiritual battle happening there is a battle all around us and we would be wise to acknowledge it and, and I love this text because he says those who truly want to follow me those who are really part of my, my church they will, they will actually continue on And they will overcome. But those who do not want to be in my family, and those who are not part of the church, will not. And I think what's going on right now through COVID is that it's really kind of a sifting process of those who actually are part of the church and those who are not. As we move forward in the next months and even years, what I know is that some people will continue to engage in the family of God. And some people will not. Some people who are part of the church will continue to be part of the church. And those who are not truly part of God's church will not. And that's what's being said, is the church will overcome. And what we know about the church is it's not a building. It's a people. We are God's church. And so we can know this. The gates of hell are actually coming at us right now. The gates of hell would seek to distract us from what really matters right now. And so many people around the world and many uh, of our friends and neighbors who would say, I'm a Christian, are actually being overcome by the gates of hell. We see this all the time, and I think that's part of the problem is we think hell is somewhere that people are going to go someday, but we actually can see hell every day right here in this world. As we look at the scriptures, what we see is that in the beginning, God created humanity with love for each other and love for him, and when sin entered the world, hell actually entered the world, and we actually experience hell every single day. And so it's both a future reality for those who choose to live apart from Jesus and it's also a current existence that we see all around us all the time. You don't have to look very far to see and experience hell here on earth today. And many people would say this pandemic, it's like like hell on earth. It's creating hell on earth. But I would say that it's more of revealing hell on earth than anything. In many ways, it's revealing our hearts. It's revealing the dark side of how we feel about each other and how we feel about people who are different than us and, and people who see things in different ways than we see it. But hell is actually all over if you're willing to look for it and to see it. I mean, hell is an elderly woman who's calling 911 just to get somebody on the phone that she can talk to. Hell is a college student whose highest goal is to just play video games for the rest of their life and to just waste their existence on this earth. Hell is a successful business owner who saves his business through COVID but yet loses his soul to the journey. Hell is a a college girl who just wants to be loved and accepted, who gets on a social media platform and bears it all and shows things that she should never show just to feel like she gets some attention. I mean, Hell is everywhere around us. It's hopelessness. It's lostness. It's people who feel isolated right now. And so you don't have to look far to see hell but as God's people with an understanding of it, it means that we have a a mission. We have a a work to do. We have a job to do in this world. I just read a survey from the CDC that says this. In June of 2020, this is really recent, 31% of people said they were experiencing anxiety or depression symptoms. 13% said they had started or increased substance use. And 26% said they were experiencing trauma or stress-related disorder symptoms. And 11% of respondents said that they had seriously considered suicide in the 30 days prior to the survey. 11%. So we don't have to look far to see hopelessness or to see people who need to know the love of Jesus. And of that that hopeless demographic that we see all around us is, is a crowd of really isolated people. And, and of those isolated people, 78% said that they deal with their isolation by distracting themselves. They just look for ways to get away from it. This is why uh, Netflix streaming is up, and once again, substance abuse is up, and screen time is up, and it's why Lowe's keeps running out of lumber right now because uh, we don't know what to do with these feelings of being alone, and so we just work on a project around the house or try to get something done. But listen, one of the best ways to perpetuate hell in the world right now is to center our time and schedules around ourselves. That's really one of the best ways to do that. And what I believe God is calling us as a church to do is to look outside of ourselves. I mean, that's really how we bring heaven to earth, is we begin to care for the needs of others. And, and once again, if hell is, is an experience of, of being focused and obsessed with yourself, then heaven is when we focus on and care for others and that's what we want to bring to earth today it's why we meet it's why we gather it's why we have a mission as a church in hebrews 10 it says this let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching it turns out that the day is approaching the end really is approaching that's how jesus taught us to live like hey that day of judgment where, where our life will be seen for what it is. The day that we will stand before God like this rich man did, and like uh, Lazarus did. That day is coming. And so we're to actually meet together. That's a command from God. It's not optional. It's not something that, well, if you feel like it, maybe. But that God's church is to gather together, not sometimes, but actually all the more as we see the day approaching. And so many of you know how we've chosen to do that is to launch ACF Outposts, which are these home churches throughout our city. And that's our goal, is to continue to depopulate hell in the city of Eagle River and in the state of Alaska and in the world through the way that we love each other and through the way that we live through this uh, difficult time. So ACF Outposts are all about finding your people. And this is a really big deal as we come into the fall, as it gets dark and cold in Alaska, is that you need your people. And as we just said, that we are called by God to gather together. Now, uh, that scripture doesn't say how many people have to gather together, but just that we are getting together as God's people, and we are worshiping together, we are growing together, and we are serving together. And that's our heart for ACF Outposts. And so that you can grow together, what we want to do is every single week, we're gonna give you questions to talk through in your homes. And so the question I want you to wrestle with here in just a moment after you shut off this live stream is in what way do I see hell being perpetuated in the world around me? And then the next question is, what is God asking me to do about it? And then I want you to get together and read Revelation 21, verse 4, to close out your time together. Let me pray for us today. Jesus, we love you and we're grateful that you meet us in the middle of the hell that we experience here on earth. And God, we want to first acknowledge that uh, hell isn't something that's only out there, but it actually exists within us, God. It's something that we perpetuate through the way that we live, through the way that we speak to our fellow man, through uh, the way that we spend our time and our energy And yet, God, we don't want to do that. Father, we want to bring heaven to earth. And we want to depopulate hell in our community. And so, Father God, would you reach through the hands and feet of ACF Church into our city? God, could we be the kind of people who who show others how good you are and how loving you are amidst all of the loneliness and, and the hopelessness that people find themselves in? God, you created us to be loved to be secure and firm in our, our, our foundation of life, God, and to know that we are cared for and to feel at peace. And so, God, I pray that we would experience that and that we'd give that to others. Father, cause us to look outside of ourselves, cause us not to be consumed with our own success and to lose sight of an eternal perspective like this rich man. God, cause us to be like Lazarus, who who sometimes maybe are struggling and going through difficult things, but who have had uh, the willingness and ability to choose you as our Lord and Savior throughout all of the struggle of life. God, grow our communities. I pray you'd, you'd just deepen the conversations that happen in these homes and that through the next four months, God, we would come to know you in new and profound ways. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys.